Hey everybody, John Clark here from privatepracticeworkshop.com. I'm a licensed therapist, just like many of you, and I've been helping other therapists build a better business since uh, about 2013. I want to tell just a snippet of my story for those of you who kind of don't know me. Um, I graduated uh, in, uh, from graduate school and moved out to San Francisco knowing nobody, having no job leads, um, no network, anything like that, and no idea how a private practice uh, really functions. And uh, I was working at an agency like, like many of you, and uh, very long days, <laughs> long hours, uh, very difficult work, sometimes in environments that were not so safe, and basically doing um, social work case management across the Bay Area for, for teenagers and youth, uh, worked in juvenile probation for a bit, worked in the schools. And I knew that um, I had already been doing agency work throughout undergrad and grad school. And so I had kind of gotten my fill. I had done a lot of it and I was ready for something else. I was ready for private practice. I just didn't know how to do it. So um, long story short, you know, around this time, I was desperate to make more money. I was um, just barely getting by, living paycheck to paycheck out here. I was even driving Uber and Lyft to just make rent. Um, at one point, I was living in a eight by 10 uh, shack in the Oakland Hills that uh, was about $850 a month. And I knew that private practice was possible. I just didn't know how to put it all together. And so uh, a lot of late nights and weekends, I started to teach myself. And the primary challenge I had was getting clients from my practice, right? Um, the other pieces in terms of um, you know, finding an office, setting up an LLC were not and are still not usually the the tough parts of private practice. It's everything else. And for me, it has usually been, you know, getting clients, especially given that I had no time to network or go to open houses or, you know, shake hands with, uh, or they, they say bump elbows, <laughs> rub elbows, bump elbows with um, uh, physicians and things like that. So I needed to market my practice online and I needed to do it kind of automatically so again, many late nights and weekends, I was Googling about Google and started to teach myself everything from website development, Squarespace, um, SEO, Google ads, uh, email marketing, all these pieces. And over time, I was able to then grow my first practice into a full-time caseload. I was able to eventually leave that agency and have a really great job working 20, 25 hours a week, seeing clients and then doing some of this consulting on the side. And and that was back in 2013. I've been doing that ever since now. Um, I, for a while, I moved to the East Coast, started a practice that became a group practice, and eventually sold that in 2019. That group practice now has, I think, eight therapists. I'm back in San Francisco now, and I'm building my third practice. This will be my second group practice. And um, you know, I'm still learning along the way. And whenever I learn, I then try to teach it to you guys. That's the way I do it. Um, so I see my own experiences as um, really where I get my information to teach you guys. And um, when I learn something, I try to turn right around and teach it to you all. So that's kind of how this all works. Um, I serve therapists in a number of ways, one of which is my fully booked program. It's a five-step proven process for getting clients consistently. That's kind of my uh, flagship training program. And then the second program is called Business Made Human. It's an exclusive mastermind that meets with uh, me and a group of like-minded peers um, every single week for an hour. 
you also get uh, weekly office hours with me. Um, we go through everything from the tactical parts of business to also uh, building a purpose-driven business and a business that uh, is going to fill you up and give you meaning um, in your life and purpose. So really designing your business around your ideal life, your ideal day, your ideal income, um, and again, making sure that everything is driven by uh, a sense of purpose using your gifts to help others. That's the way that uh, my friend Brian Boucher defi defined purpose on a recent episode here. So anyway, that program opens just um, twice a year. And I will tell you right now, very honestly, no, this is no BS. Um, we have two spots left. We have one spot in our solo owners group, solo therapists or coaches. And then we have one spot in our group practice owners group. So um, they're split up that way so that you're you know, with people who are building a business similar to you. Um, the doors close to that tomorrow. That is May 18th. So if you're interested in that, best thing you can do is head to privatepracticeworkshop.com, click on Business Made Human, and book a quick call with me. Um, otherwise, you can email me, john at privatepracticeworkshop.com. If we're friends on Facebook, message me on Facebook and we'll hop on a quick call. But if you want either of those slots, definitely now is the time to jump on that before it closes again for the next six months. We've had some people in the program for, for a few years now. So the idea is that, you know, a lot of people stay long-term and really grow together. Uh, that being said, let's get into uh, kind of our teaching for the day. I have a couple pieces I want to teach to you guys. And one is, uh, it's funny, there's a, a group practice owner who was in this last round of BMH and uh, she said that this Facebook Live I did last time was the sole reason why she joined. And <laughs> that was pretty cool. So that was great feedback for me as a, you know, a, a coach and a, a consultant and a content creator that she was saying literally that piece of content is what did it for me. So I'm going to do that piece of content again in so many words today. The, the main topic is why uh, it, it's, it's why medium-sized practices are doomed. Medium-sized group practices are doomed. And let me tell you a little story. So um, uh, until about 12 months ago, I was still living in Paris, France. I was there with my wife for her job and um, just living abroad for a couple of years. And it was wonderful. And I've always loved coffee. I've always loved kind of, uh, you know, like craft coffee. I don't know what, what how you would call it, hipster coffee. And, um, you know, I had some uh, friends in Paris who owned cafes and worked at cafes. And so I was talking to a friend at one point and she kind of said in so many words, there's three categories of cafes, the, uh, the very, very small cafe and the very, very large cafe tends to be the most profitable. It's the ones in the middle that really suffer and are in constant risk of closing down. And that made sense to me, right? Because Let's look at the very small cafe first, right? You have a small cafe, maybe a small storefront or even like a little pop-up shop or a booth or whatever it is, right? And so you've got few employees, very little overhead, and hopefully you're still doing decent volume of coffee, right? And maybe people are taking it to go. Maybe you're also selling bags of coffee, who knows what. And, um, you know, this is a small but mighty business, right? You can have actually pretty high margins um, with a small cafe like this. So I would liken this to the small, you know, solo practice owners group or the small, um, uh, you know, group practice, right? You've got one, two clinicians, whatever it is, and your expenses are controlled. Revenue is strong. You're not having to stretch and take on a bunch of expenses so that you can grow, like upgrading to that bigger office space or spending a lot on ads, even though you're not making enough to spend on ads. 
whatever it is, okay? So then on the other hand, you have the very large um, cafes or the large group practices, right? You're doing it at scale. So you've got five, six locations. You've got uh, a dozen or a couple dozen employees, right? Um, you've got uh, some more brand awareness. You're really reaching farther and your business is operating at scale. And when you're operating at scale and doing high volume, that's when you can see better margins again. Um, here's the thing. I'll just tell you a little secret, which is that group practice really only works well, either really small or at scale. It doesn't really work well in the medium size, right? So let's run through what the medium size looks like and why it goes wrong, right? Why it's not a, a good idea for very long. You need to kind of push through that medium size stage if you're going to be successful in group practice ownership. So you go from small. And if you're like many therapists, you know, you maybe you didn't even plan on being in group practice, but you filled up your solo practice, your website's working, you got some great referring relationships, and uh, you're starting to get burned out. You're seeing 20, 25 people a week, and you're like, this can't be all to life, right? Um, people are still calling, but you've got to turn them away. And you're thinking, man, I hate to quote unquote, lose that money, right? So you hire your first clinician or two. So a lot of therapists just kind of fall into group practice ownership, which I think is the first mistake in a way, right? It's like falling into any career um, or just, you know, um, not knowing what you want to do. And then someone says, hey, do you want to be a dentist? And you're like, sure, I'll be a dentist because I don't know what else to do. Maybe that's extreme, but it, there is some parallel there too, right? Not knowing what you want. And then when things just kind of come your way, you're like, I guess I'll take it, right? Without a real clear vision for your business and your life or why you're doing the things you're doing. Then fast forward into a year, a couple years into it, you got a bunch of employees, you've got more expenses than ever, payroll and office suites, right? You got, you got to fire people. So you got to hire a lawyer to make sure you fire them the right way. Um, it just becomes a more dynamic business pretty much overnight. And you have to really stay on top of it. You'll be doing less clinical work, hopefully, so that you can focus more on the business, right? And running the business. So um, your your role is going to be fundamentally different, right? You're going to have big chunks of time where you're just on your own working on the business or doing payroll stuff or calling that accountant or that lawyer, right? Or uh, working with people on your website, whatever it is, um, supervising your clinicians, right? So you're going to have to lean into this role of manager for the first time. And for a lot of therapists, that's a that's a tough one to lean into, right? It's actually something that they grow to resent and, and don't enjoy doing. Unless you had purpose behind why you're doing it and really were you know, knew that the the manager piece is going to be in your future and you lean into it and you love leading a team, you love hiring, supervising and all that stuff, right? So it can go that way. Anyway, so, uh, you know, uh, therapists kind of slip into group practice ownership. And again, they keep it on a small scale to start. And usually they are quite profitable early on, right? And you're still seeing probably 20 clients a week, right? And then maybe just adding one contracted therapist, they're seeing 10 people a week in your office when you're not using it. And you're making, you know, 30, 40% of, of, you know, what they're charging, for instance. Okay. Making a few hundred bucks per week extra, right? Without tons of extra work. And that can work well. And then you add one more therapist and that might work well too. But then you add another. And again, here's, here's where you start to stretch and things kind of go wrong you start to kind of sneak into that medium size uh, uh, group practice. And all of a sudden you've got three clinicians. So you've got to get a bigger office space, right? So that's an extra 2000 bucks a month, 
or whatever it's going to be. You got to get them paneled, right? And there's a delay in getting them paneled, but maybe you still have to pay them while they're getting paneled or getting them trained. Maybe you need to get them trained in EMDR. And so that's more money out of your pocket. Um, the phone's not ringing enough to now fill these three clients up, right? So you've got to spend more on ads or you've got to get a totally new website. Maybe you've been running things under your personal name, like your personal brand, johnclark.com, right? And then you try to add associates, but no one wants to see your associates because they're not you, right? They look like a downsell. It's John Clark and Associates. Well, the associates look like junior staff, right? From a brand perspective. So they call and instead of, you know, your brand now promoting your clinicians, your brand is actually still promoting John Clark in a, in a way like never before, right? It's incredible, but nothing will make you look as good and as attractive than adding clinicians to your practice. If you're still in the spotlight, you're still the kind of star of the show. So then you need a new website, right? You got to do the SEO all over again, whatever it may be. Again, you need a payroll system. You need um, uh, an attorney to help with your employment stuff, your contracts, whatever it is. You need a bookkeeper now, all sorts of things. So again, it's this medium size that you either need to really push through or pull back from. If you're in that medium size, and I would say, again, anywhere between like three to, to five, three to six you know, clinicians, most of whom are full-time or mostly full-time, then you're in that kind of medium size where, again, you've taken on a lot more expenses and your margins are usually going to suffer. You're also going to deal with retention issues with your clinicians. So people will come, they'll get full, they'll have 25 clients a week, and then they'll leave, right? And most of those clients will naturally follow. And then you're scrambling, you've got to hire quickly, right? Fill that spot, you got to spend more on advertising to get the next clinician full and on we go, right? So it's like you can get in this running in place, stuck in this running in place kind of mode in that medium size um, category. So again, my, my suggestion to you is if if you are in this medium size category, you either need to push through it to get to the large size. So, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 therapists operating more at scale and with volume, uh, or scale back to small, small and mighty, right? Small and mighty and very controlled, one or two clinicians at most, right? And running still high margin. The thing is, speaking of margin, you know, a, a therapy practice, um, uh, let me say a group practice, is generally not a very high margin business in the first place compared to other service industries, right? So compared to my lawyer who you know, charges $400 an hour or whatever it is, right? And he can bill me for many hours on a project. And then maybe he's adding new ther- new lawyers to his practice. Well, that might work well, right? Because he could be running on high margin because his fees are so much significantly higher than me, th- than mine, right? Same thing for dentists, um, uh, even chiropractors, people like that, or um, anyone who has a service that's uh, that's generating more revenue than a therapy practice, for instance. So, you know, along those lines, you need to charge enough as well. That's the thing. But again, if you, uh, if you're doing it at scale, let's say you've got 10 clinicians and it's an insurance-based practice. So let's say at the very most Blue Cross Blue Shield or someone like that is giving you 110 per session, right? And then you could calculate cost per session or, um, yeah, what what I consider is uh, how much it costs you to run the business per clinical hour, cost per clinical hour. That's something I've kind of made up. But basically what that is, 
is you would look at, and I know I'm all over the place today, but <laughs> deal with it. Sorry. Um, no, that's not the right response. I've had an appropriate amount of coffee, but I might be pushing that edge. Anyway, so what I do for cost uh, per clinical hour, I take, uh, I look at your offices, right? Let's say you have an office suite and you look at how many slots are available in a week and or in a month, right? And then that tells you, um, yeah, how many slots you have. And I would think of a slot like your product that you're selling. So if I have, if I'm selling, you know, AirPods or something, I want to figure out how much this costs me to create, right? To produce. And then how much am I selling it for? And then you're looking at your margin, right? You can do that with your practice, especially your group practice. If you look at what it's costing you to run the business. So let's say you've got, I, I don't know, let's say you've got 160 slots per month or something like that. You would then take your overall monthly expenses. And so let's say that's, you know, 10,000 bucks a month or 7,000 bucks a month, whatever it is, divided by the number of slots you have in your practice. And that's going to give you roughly, you know, that cost per clinical hour. Group practice centers especially should do this and should do it often because a lot of times you'd be surprised at how little profit you have on a single session. A lot of times it's costing you, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks to, um, uh, to, to run that slot, for instance. And then let's say, you know, they're billing out at a hundred bucks an hour, the per, the clinician gets 40%, 45%, whatever. Um, some group practice owners are only profiting like a, a $5, you know, per session or $10 per session, whatever it is. So you can end up with really, really small profit margins, like five, 10%, you know, 15%. Um, and again, the only way to do that well, and to do it, um, in a way where you can profit and have a healthy salary as the owner is to do it at scale and to do it with high volume, right? So you got to be cranking out, you know, hundred sessions a week across the practice or whatever it is, if you really want to you know, do this well and be profitable. So that's, that's a big piece of all of this. Okay. So um, again, if you're just now joining me or if you're here, uh, I'm on YouTube live as well as the podcast. So uh, if you're on YouTube right now, feel free to ask me questions in the question section or the comment section, and I'll answer them as we go or at the end. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, then um, just focus on driving. <laughs> Don't wreck the car because of my my podcast or my uh, silky smooth voice. So um that's a that's that's kind of the gist of it, right? And so looking at what size practice do you want to be, what's the cost per clinical hour, um, and what kind of margin do you have, right? Um, so again, that small, medium, or large practice, the small and the large practices tend to be most viable, most profitable. So if you're in that middle stage, you either need to push through it or pull back from it generally in order to be, you know, have a, have a healthy profit. Another thing I'll say along the lines of group practice ownership is it, this is just something you have to really, really want. You have to really want it and love it and want to be a manager and be comfortable in this kind of CEO role of doing, uh, you know, managing all parts of the business, whether it's marketing or the office or, hey, we ran out of tissues. And if you don't have someone to go get them, guess who that's going to be? It's going to be you. If you, you know, you got to enjoy the clinical part, right? So unless you have a clinical director, let's say a client is suicidal on the weekend and they call or text their clinician and then the clinician, guess who they call or text? 
they call or text you even though you're out to dinner with your partner on a Saturday night and guess what? That's on you now. Um, so I just think <clears throat> all these things need to be carefully considered and it's not that group practice ownership can't be great. I think it can be. And again, I'm doing it now for the second time. It's just that you have to be very, very intentional about how you set it up. Um, you need to think about your ideal kind of day, your ideal life. You need to sketch out your numbers and make sure you're going to be profitable for that. I do recommend the Profit First system and reading the Profit First book by Mike Michalowicz. Um, we'll, we'll have a link to that in the description. Um, yeah, you just need to really take a hard look at the whole thing and try to envision you know, how it's going to be for you to be a, a group practice owner. I I can't tell you how many of group practice owners I meet who have very low margin. They're making less money than ever, less than they were as a solo practitioner, even less than they were as a, at an agency. They're burned out. You know, they've got people issues, a lot of HR issues, right? Clinicians, you know, leaving all the time or not being able to retain their own clients or people get sick or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's just a lot of moving parts to it. So you have to really want it. And, and kind of lean into it. I, I also think, you know, if you're going to become a group practice owner, you need to take a hard look at whether you're ready to scale down your own caseload dramatically. Uh, most group practice owners are seeing too many clients. They're, they've got 10 clinicians and they're still seeing 20 clients a week. There's no freaking way that that makes sense or that that math adds up, right? Um, you need to be ready to, to, to kind of emerge into that business owner role, that CEO role, because you are both executive director and clinical director at the same time. And if you're seeing 20 people a week, not only is that emotionally very taxing and you're already kind of maxing out what you could do, but then you have this whole other job. It's like you have two jobs. One job is being a clinician. One job is being executive director and clinical director. Okay, let's call it three jobs. So if you really want your business to grow, you need to you know, cut your caseload in half at minimum maybe even pull it all the way down, right? I've gone as far as pulling myself off of my group practice website because guess what? The main purpose of the practice and of the website is to promote the clinicians, not to pro promote me or my face or my personality or my reputation. You know, the, the, the best group practices are not built on the reputation of the owner because then, you know, the, the business is going to be bottlenecked by your reputation, or if and when you eventually leave, or let's say you ever want to sell the practice, well, good luck selling, you know, John Clark and Associates. It's all about me and my face and my brand and my reputation, right? It, it's also just a major disservice to your clinicians, right? They're not going to be able to really thrive and grow and develop their own reputation if they're kind of suffocated by your personal brand. So you really, really need to think about that along the way is um, how are you branding it and are you branding the group practice so that that brand can stand on its own two feet? Again, it needs to be kind of a, a neutral or generic brand that's not your name. You need to promote your clinicians like crazy. You need to have them on the homepage. Um, you, know, you need to have them in the spotlight all over the website and all over your marketing. If you have built your practice on relationships with physicians, school counselors, whoever, well, guess what? You need your clinicians to now build those relationships. Because uh, again, the group practice brand cannot rest on your shoulders or your reputation. This is a, a, a dire mistake that I see group practice owners making and they wonder why their group practice isn't growing, right? So again, I've gone as far as to take myself off my group practice owner site. I think that's a great idea. At minimum, 
de-rank yourself on your site, like deprioritize yourself, put your bio at the bottom. Don't have it a, a big flashy about me, about the owner on your homepage, right? This beautiful picture of you, right? And some epic headshot. <laughs> you know, again, you're, you're just screwing over your clinicians. It's, it's crazy to me. And, and people wonder why they're not growing, why their brand isn't growing. So if you are going to be on your your own group practice owner's website, your group practice website, you know, you need to be more subtle. You need to blend in like one of your clinicians. I wouldn't even say on your website that you're the executive director, founder, owner, you know, the original badass of this practice. Um, I, I know that feels good for the ego and you've worked hard to get here and it's fun to say I'm the owner or the executive director or CEO, but just, you, you know, set those aside and just show yourself as a clinician on the site if you're going to be on your site at all. Again, otherwise, I highly recommend you just pulling yourself off your site. People think I'm crazy when I mention this, but again, you want to increase the odds of your clinicians getting full, not of you getting full. What got you to the dance of solo practice ownership is not what's going to get you to the dance of group practice success. Talk about quotable moments on a Monday morning. <laughs> Someone will quote that and put it on like a, you know, a, a huge inspirational poster in your office with like a picture of Michael Jordan's, you know, doing a, a signature slam dunk. Basically, I'm the Michael Jordan of private practice. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not that conceited. <laughs> Only a little conceited. If you've if you followed me for a while, you know I'm kidding. And overly sarcastic. If you're brand new, you're like, wow, what an egomaniac. Um, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> a lot of pieces to consider again around group practice ownership. If you are going to do it, you got to do it right. You got to do it smart. Um, any good business is going to start with a solid foundation. Just like if you're building a house, that solid foundation needs to be um, built on mission, vision, values. So your mission statement, right, is how my business is going to impact the world. The effect my business will have on the world, right? Um, the uh, You should also have a personal mission statement. What is your personal mission? If your life is a success, right, or at the end of your life, if you're looking back and thinking, hey, was I successful or not, then you need to be able to measure it against something, right? And that's what, that's what your mission statement's for. Your vision is kind of a future snapshot of how you're going to achieve the mission, right? How are you going to get there? What are the steps you're going to take? Um, uh, how does a business operate, right? Well, how much money is coming in and out? Um, what does a perfect day look like for you, right? How does the business do what it does, right? And again, if, if my business is successful in achieving that mission, then how are we getting there? What are the steps on the way? What are the benchmarks, et cetera? And the values are kind of like, what do we believe about how we're going to get there, right? What are we going to believe? What do we believe about how we should operate this mission, right? This this big, this grand journey. So you've got to really nail those things down. And again, that's that's a, a integral piece that we, we help you with in Business Made Human. I mentioned at the beginning, um, we've got two slots left for Business Made Human. It literally closes tomorrow, Tuesday, May 18th. We've got one slot for our solo owners group. We've got one slot for our group practice owners group. So if you're interested, um, head to privatepracticeworkshop.com, book that call with me, or reach out, um, email john at privatepracticeworkshop.com. Let's hop on the phone today and you can grab that last spot. So 
Um, this has been a lot of fun. I'm going to answer one question here on my way out. This is on YouTube Live, and then I will um, I'll leave you guys to it. So Kelly in Mississauga, which I'm getting better and better at saying that every time uh, I see Kelly on here. <laughs> Kelly says, "Hi John, we are launching a new online group practice." Should we invest heavily in marketing now to launch quickly or invest more heavily in the fall when client demand is higher? That's a great question. Here's what I would do, Kelly. Um, I would start with a smaller budget now because the longer you can run those ads, especially if you're running Google ads, for instance, which is probably going to be your main uh, focus or I hope your main focus because that's that's where people are searching for therapists. So that's where you should be focusing, not on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or who the hell knows what. So assuming we're talking about Google ads, I would start um, uh, with a smaller budget now and I would run a bunch of different campaigns, a bunch of different therapy types, different markets, different demographics, right? You can be split testing your ad copy, uh, things like that. And um, it, it's going to take Google a while to show you what's working well, right? So the sooner you can start that process and get those ads off the ground, the better. So I would start those now, and then you're going to have a better idea of which ads are working, which campaigns, which regions are, are really good for you, um, your cost per click, and also your cost per lead. Um, you're going to be able to calculate those things. And then when the fall comes and demand does start ramping up again, which is great, um, then you'll be ready. You'll be in prime position to you know make that happen. So that's that's how I would do it, but that's a great question. Um, we've got another question. Um, Okay, so that was Kelly's question there. Just popping that one up and I'll hide it. We have another question. Um, Ibun, um, hopefully I'm saying that right, says, what's a good small budget example? Well, you know, I could just throw out a number, but it'd be kind of irrelevant uh, because what really matters is that your budget's based on you, your market, and ultimately your cost per click, more importantly, cost per lead, more importantly, cost per acquisition. So, let's think about for a second cost per acquisition, right? So what that means is let's say I spent, let's just do some math. Let's say I spent a thousand dollars in a month on Google ads and it resulted in 20 inquiries, right? So that's my cost per lead, right? Um, but then out of those 20 inquiries, it, it, it resulted in 10 new clients, right? So then I would take a thousand bucks divided by 10 new clients and my cost per acquisition or cost per client is a hundred bucks, right? So that's, that's just an example. So your, your cost per, per new client is very, very important. And that's really, to me, the only number that matters. Um, again, just some pretend math here, but you do want to look at that and be calculating that. So to me, that would still be very healthy, right? Because if someone walked up to you and said, okay, Kelly, um, you hand me a hundred dollars and I will then deliver to you a client that's going to come and pay 150 in the first session. Right. Um, and you say, okay, cool. So I'm making, you know, maybe $50 profit or, you know, um, wh whatever's coming out of that, your expenses and everything. Maybe you're not even profitable in the first session, but you're okay with that because you know that most clients come back for a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and 600th session or whatever. Right. So in the short term, maybe someone comes for six sessions and is generating, you know, eight, nine hundred bucks for your practice. That's a huge ROI. Right. So you just turned a hundred dollars into eight hundred dollars. Amazing ROI. Right. Let's say that person stays for six months or six years. 
insane ROI. Most therapists don't think about this. And so they're too shy about spending on ads. Yeah, got to know that stuff. I'll take one more question from Justin. Justin, thanks for the question. The age old question, he says 1099 versus W2. What do you recommend? I'm going to recommend you do what's right for the state, county, and city you live in. That's what I would recommend. And honestly, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm going to recommend you talk to an employment attorney in your area. Most therapists that are doing 1099 shouldn't be doing 1099. And the reason is they're doing it because it's they think it's cheaper. It's a quick way to get started. They don't want the responsibilities of having W-2 employees and all that. But in reality, you also need to think about how it looks, right? So if it looks like an employee, but you're you're you know you're running it as a contractor, you could be in big trouble down the road. You could owe a lot in uh, back taxes to the IRS, right? You're not giving your your team members the protections of an employee. There could be big fines, things like that. The irony is, you know, there's a an accountant I know at Green Oaks Accounting, and Julie says that actually the group practice owners that are the W two model they actually are more profitable by the numbers than 1099s. So you should think about that as well. Most of the time, I honestly think W-2 is the proper way to go. Um, but if you can do contractors, depending on your state, et cetera, then I think that's okay. You just want to make sure you're doing it the right way. Main thing is, again, it does it really look like a contractor? So a contractor is like the guy that comes and paints my house. He's a contractor, right? He has his own business, his own LLC, he sets his own fees, right? He serves a lot of different clients. I'm just one of them, right? My house and the neighbor's house and whatever, right? Provides his own tools. He shows up whenever he wants. He dresses how he wants. That's a contractor, right? He doesn't rely on just me for all of his income, right? If he relied on me for all of his income, guess what? He's looking a whole lot like a W-2 now. He's looking like an employee. So you need to think about that. And again, a lot of therapists are getting this wrong because they just don't want to go through the process of, of having employees. But a lot of times it's the, the more appropriate setup. It's the cleaner setup. And you can, in fact, be more profitable. Um, we use a software called Gusto for all of our payroll-related stuff, and I, I highly recommend it. We, we really love Gusto. And um, yeah, we can throw a link to that in the chat so or in the description. That's all I've got for you guys today. Again, um, I hope this was helpful. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist turned business coach. I've been uh, a business coach since about 2013, helping therapists everywhere um, build a better business without all the overwhelm. We're doing that right now inside our Business Made Human groups. That's a weekly mastermind. The doors close tomorrow. We've got one slot for solo owners, one slot for group practice owners. So hop on that if you want to you know, get in that group. Um, again, head to privatepracticeworkshop.com to learn more about Business Made Human, book a call with me, or just shoot me a quick email today, john at privatepracticeworkshop.com. If you want to grab one of those slots, I would love to to work with you and, and guide you through um, your business growth and um, help you make the right decisions along the way and, and do it in a community of other therapists that get it and are doing the same thing as you. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This It's a podcast episode if you want to check it out on the podcast. It's also YouTube Live if you're following us on YouTube. Just search for Private Practice Workshop. Thanks again for being here. And again, I'll see you inside Business Made Human. Look forward to it. And um, otherwise, we'll, we'll chat again real soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.